Well, hello, everybody. We are now adding a third person to podcast the podcast today. And it is our front of house engineer, Mr. Jared Cuball Bright. Everybody mm-hmm. give it up. Lovely intro. Lovely intro. How are you today, Jared? I'm doing well today. Haven't haven't done a whole lot today. Drink some coffee. This is my second time drinking coffee today. So you drink any water? I did. I did. Okay, cool. Got a glass. Jack, how are we doing? Doing good. I worked this morning. I just got back home. You up in Attica working on the house? Yep. A lot of getting the yard in the shape while the weather holds. But we're almost done outside. And well, then give I get us to start on the inside. Give us a little background, because I mean, I think people who follow us know that you're working on a house. But like, why are you working on a house, bro? Because uh, I have a degree in business, and it took me about <laughs> three years to learn that I hated working in an office. And an opportunity kind of came up at the beginning of the year to not work in an office anymore and work on a house, uh, kind of with my parents. And I did it, and I really liked it, and it kind of led to me wanting to do more of them. Um, and, I mean, my parents still have full-time jobs, so it was kind of one of those things where they're like, if you want to do this again, you're going to really have to head this one up. And I was like, that's fine with me. So um, so you're a regular Chip Gaines, bro. I mean, I guess you could call it that. It's <laughs> nice. I mean, I work by myself, and I just listen to podcasts all day and kind of bring people in for the more specialty stuff. Like, I'm not doing electric or anything like that. I've kind of sworn that off for the time being. Anything that can destroy the house if I mess it up, I'm not going to do. Smart. Um, but everything cosmetic, like, I'm going to help lay the floors and, and run all the uh, flex for new AC and all that fun stuff. So it's a growing experience. I don't know anything as of now, and I'm just going to kind of dive in with that kind of stuff and figure it out. That's how life works. No college. Yeah. Just start doing it, and then you'll figure it out. I know. I spent tens of thousands of dollars to not use my degree at all in this job, so. What a life we live. Yeah. I think, I think you speak for all of us with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's go ahead and start this episode. We decided we'd bring um, Jared on today because we think it's important that, um, I guess, you get a little insight into the behind-the-scenes of tour life. Let's start with, um, I guess, a little bit of your background. Like, how uh, did you start getting into the music industry? Like, what made you want to be, um, I guess, involved in that part of the world? Because mm. um, you obviously didn't start out as a front of house. No. Uh, I was a musician, kind of, first. Still, I am a musician, but... Uh, I went, I played like in youth group bands and at church and stuff growing up and then kind of through that started learning sound and mixing sound. Uh, and then there were some people I knew when I was in high school, uh, who had toured and done various things of that nature in the production world. I was like, Oh, you can make money from this. Sick. Uh, I went to school for it and now we're here. Is that what you, what was your degree? It was music business. Uh, it was essentially just a music degree. Did we do the same thing? You had like the emphasis in entertainment, music industry or whatever? Um, I think they changed it actually after my year. So mine was essentially just a degree in music. So like I had mandatory ensembles and so tons of music, music theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is the, the main difference. I think Jansen and I did. Jansen, you did it through the business school, right? Yeah. That's right. Okay. As did I. So we both, we all three got the same degree from the same school with just different yeah. emphases, I guess. Yeah. Like I had, or like different cores, like, cause I had to do a bunch of music theory and. You have to do like guitar lessons and stuff. I did percussion for two years and then I had to pass this like, I don't know performance thing did that and then I took piano for the rest of my time see I wish that I would have had the mental capacity to do that but I'm also glad that I didn't 
I feel like, I don't know, Jack, what did you think? I feel like learning the business side, at least for me, kind of like in terms of starting a band and kind of running it like the business that it is, like I feel like that was super helpful, even though I feel like I wasted a lot of money (laughs) at the same time. I go back and forth because I think I think there would have been a lot of valuable skills that I could have taken away doing my degree through the School of Music. Um, but at the same, kind of what you're saying, I think, and, and we've talked about this kind of within the context of the band because we all went to the same school and, and most of us kind of have similar degrees. But I think just the the nature of the business and the kind of classes we took correlated really well in the sense that I didn't learn a ton in <laughs> classes, but what it really showed me is, uh, maybe unintentionally, is that a lot of this is just a matter of, of trying things out and doing it yourself and really putting in the groundwork because no one's going to hand you anything. And I think there could have been the potential that if I would have done the music school, I may have missed that bit of information that I now think is actually, it was really beneficial for me to figure out at at that age that you kind of do have to just do it yourself and make things happen for yourself. So I'm actually envious of both of you. I had wanted to switch to the business school like freshman year. This is a, this is a true story. I went to my advisor and said, Hey, I think I'm I'm thinking of switching to the business school. And she said, do you want to waste your time with business classes or waste your time with music classes? <laughs> That's exactly what you want to hear uh-huh. from the people that you're giving all yep. of your money. Yep. Yeah, not, not ideal. Um, and as an 18-year-old, I said, I want to do music. So who? Uh, Becky Chapel. Becky Chapel. Yeah, nice. of course. Who, who else? Lover. Oh, got to. Anyway. <laughs> it's just such a down memory lane there. College oh, is a lot of money. Weigh your options. I'm not saying don't go to college. Uh, but think harder but, about yeah. how important college is to you. Because I think we would all agree, like, I wouldn't know Jared. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know Jack. We all wouldn't know each other if we didn't go to college. Which you could say that's like the opportunity cost of not going to college is like meeting the people that, you know, you might, whether it's a band like us or if it's like a small business or anything like that, like obviously there's benefits to going to college, but I think we've all found that most of those benefits for us were social ones. Yeah, and basically like even outside of working with you guys, I'd start, I was able to make connections through various companies and studios in Indiana to, like, once I graduate, be able to freelance, essentially. Yeah. So it was definitely good, but also, you yeah. know, well, I mean, that leans into, like, jobs being more important sometimes than the degree. You yeah. Know, like, the experience. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Love it. Well, okay, so you were, do you want to tell us about the bands that you're in or not? Nah? ones I played in? Yeah. I played in a few. Uh, There's me and a couple of friends. My roommate was a bass player, and uh, I was a drummer. So we ended up playing with a lot of different groups on campus. Uh, John Lewis in the Midwest was a band we were a part of for a few years. Uh, That turned into a group called Understatements that I was in. And then we also played with Ellie Michelle. <laughs> Shout out that that Wheaton area. Uh, I don't know what she's up to these days, but yeah. Anyway, who else? Well, and Jason. Jason was in. Jason, yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. Jason was in the Midwest as well. Yeah. And we did that for like two years, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, I guess after, because understatements was where it was kind of like. I mean, you, Ellie was, like, kind of before understatements, right? That was kind of... Yeah, 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 yeah. Because she so like, graduated. Um, um, Go ahead. Like, oh, There's some other artists I would play with. Uh, Kurt Cordray. 
Mm-hmm. I remember him. Right. You know, it was kind of like if someone needed a band, I was one of the people. You were that go-to they drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I want to go a little bit further back, even pre-college, too, um, to kind of the humble Ohio beginnings for you. Did you, because Jansen and I kind of talked about it uh, on the first episode, just a little bit about our involvement in music early on. Did you do, were you in any bands in high school? Or did you, were you seriously playing? Because I know drums are kind of like your main instrument. Mm -hmm. And did you play drums in high school? I mean, did you just do kind of the uh, drum corps band style thing, or, or did oh, you do yeah, kind yeah. of the local band circuit? Um, unfortunately, I, I did miss out on the high school local band experience to some degree. Uh, I was, I mean, been taking various music lessons for since like second grade or something like that. Uh, drums, I think, was like fourth grade. Something like that. Um, and then I would play in youth group bands and church bands all the way through high school, uh, which was I'll, – I'll loop back to that because that was actually really good. Well, I'll just say it now. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was really good for a lot of the people. So, like, some of the other drummers that I would play with at church uh, – one of them is with plays with a band that I work with, another band that I work with now here in Nashville. Another one is out in L.A. doing music. Like, they're all doing music. Um, there's even one uh, worship leader whose resume was insane. She had toured with the Bee Gees and Grand Funk Railroad and even suppose, supposedly did some BGVs on some Michael Jackson stuff. Anyway... She she had a crazy resume. So playing at church, I learned a whole lot. Uh, and then I also did like, the drumline thing. It was fun. High school. Did you do, like organized like Jeff did? No, ours was pretty different. Ours was like uh, <laughs> our, ours was kind of a party marching band, for lack of a better word, I guess. We would do sometimes pop songs. We did a Doobie Brothers show once, which was sick. Uh, we did a NFL halftime show once. It was like that type of thing. We just go oh, out cool. and go nuts. No. Cleveland uh, Browns. No, it was Buffalo Bills versus New York Jets. Where? In Toronto. Huh. Because I think Buffalo was playing home games in Toronto for a minute. None of that ended up where I thought it was going to end up. It never <laughs> does, Jack. It never does. So. At, at what point did you kind of, because I know you said you kind of knew people that did the whole live sound thing and that kind of made you realize that there's the potential to do, to kind of have a career in that field. Mm-hmm. But when did you first, I mean, did it kind of come out of a, because I know for some people it kind of comes out of a necessity for wanting to record your own stuff and that's how you kind of get started playing around with kind of, uh, I know it's not live mixing, but mixing in general did it kind of come out of necessity for you or did you just kind of fake it till you make it style dive into a live show and just say, I, I mean, I can figure it out. Uh, so that was a big part of it, actually. Um, I remember in high school, our youth group was big and uh, you had to like audition to be in the band and I got cut. But I had like kind of helped a little bit with production my freshman year. So when I got cut, they were like, we want you to like do all this stuff. I was like, okay, sick. So I kind of just started teaching myself. Um, also had a couple friends that were older that really knew what they were doing. One ended up, one does audio for a living now, still friends with him. So I kind of had people showing me what to do, but diversify and multiply my friend. That's the you business school for you. <laughs> You just uh, just got to take on the new hat. You know? I'm here for it. <laughs> the live sound thing is sweet, too, because I feel like not very many people start with the live sound thing. Like a lot, like what you were saying, a lot of people start just trying to record themselves. But live is sick because it's like the adrenaline from performing that a musician gets. It's like kind of the same thing for live. 
You know what I mean? Like, really? Yeah, for sure. Because, like, if you mess up, there's that pressure. But also, like, you have over 100 dBs aimed at you, and you get to make it sound pretty. Like, there's definitely an energy level there that obviously, I mean, you guys know in the studio is so yeah. different. It's like taking the time, make sure it sounds perfect and all that, which yeah. still do live, but yeah, you see what I'm saying. It's like interesting because it's like when you think about even in the studio, but with live sound like you're talking about, like viewing it a little bit competitively, like where you're like trying to make it sound the best you can. Mm-hmm. But it's like you're not really you're not really up against anything in the moment. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, what about it makes it, like... Like, what's, like, the competitive nature about it that makes it, like, fun for you? Um, Like, what, like, what would you attribute, like, the equivalent of, like, scoring a goal in, like, soccer to, like, being behind the board? Ooh. Specifically with live? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, is, is there, like, a... And maybe even think about it like a wildlife show, I guess. Because like yeah, yeah. for me, like, I mean, we don't play this song live anymore. But like, I always remember when we would play "Text Me" and like the sub would kick in in the second verse. Like that was like, Whoa. oh, okay, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, what's like that moment in the show that like kind of like you feel pressure to get really like really right, and then when you get it right, it kind of feels like you scored. So, uh, ooh, that is a great question. There's one thing that is kind of less about what I get to do, but and more about how the the speakers and the system that we're on reacts is the bass drop and over sentimental. Oh, oh that's oh, a good one. That's a if good the one. PA can handle it, that's crazy because you can like it. Like basically on t- on tour when we, you've done that song and the PA can really handle it. You would audibly hear a bunch of people go, oh, like, yeah, because you can make a, it. yeah, you literally feel it. And, like, from standing in the back where I am most nights, you can, like, damn near watch the sound wave move through the room. So sick. Yeah, because you can feel it, like, in your stomach when it's, like, oh, there. yeah. Um, honestly, and, I mean, it's been around forever, but mixing waterfalls is so much fun, especially that end when it's so big. Uh, I get a really weird with your vocals a lot of the times with, like, distortion and other effects, which is super fun. It's always fun when I can be hands-on. Um, I think the goal comparison is really good. I don't know if I can pinpoint, like, one thing, but especially when you're we're doing, like, multiple shows in a row, it's nice like to see the little victories where it's like oh this hits so much better than it did last night what did i do different okay sick let's adapt that and make it hit this hard tomorrow night so it's fun to be able to like progress yeah well and i'm sure for you because i know like you did a lot of background work with um like especially on the nightly i mean that's you came on two tours with us right i've done um Nightly, and you were on another one, right? There's the short one that you did, uh, uh, I think Valley was supposed to be on. Cool. Um, Yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, there's that. And then I've done other, like, small week, week and a half run stuff. But you, like, for the nightly tour specifically, I just remember, like, you did a lot of research into, like, what console you had and, like, Mm -hmm. kind of, like, all the gear that you were going to be able to use. Because, you know, at our level, we're traveling with... I think the nightly tour was the first time we traveled with like our own in-ears and our own like system like that. Cause we were just going off of monitors up until that point. Yep. Um, but you did a lot of research going in cause we don't travel with our own PA and things like that, which is what does PA stand for? I don't think I even know. Public address system. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what. It, well, either way, historically the, the speakers is basically what it is. Yes. <laughs> you know, like all the gear that all the sound is coming out of. Yeah. Like, um, how does that play into, um, <laughs> I guess, how does that play into, like, I don't know, how helpful is that information for you? Because, like, if you don't know that information, like... It's necessary. Like, 100% necessary to know. Because, like, I'm trying to think of what, like, the musician equivalent would be or something. Like, 
uh, I don't even know. It's honestly like if you're a pilot and you spend your whole training period on like one airplane and then you show up to work and you get in the cockpit and you've never flown that plane before. Hmm. It would be not ideal. Yeah, that's right. Right. So it's <laughs> kind of similar. So like would be when a you're terrible idea. when you're mixing live like all of the things you're doing every console can will do the same thing you know whether it's levels or eq or compression or all these fancy things like they can all pretty much do the same things kind of but the workflow will be completely different um like knowing how to get to those things will be different uh at this point i've been on so many different consoles that i'm comfortable on most any of them like there's some that uh eh, there's a couple out there that i've not been on but anyways some some of them you can like i can even pre-set up save to a flash drive and throw that in the console so when i get there i can i'm ready to go those some are the of best those, nights those are the greatest nights but then sometimes I and mean, this happened on the nightly tour i will like like in boston i saved a scene expecting to use it in cleveland but the consoles were like ju- the same manufacturers and everything, but they were just different enough that like the file didn't transfer. So it's like, yeah, stuff like that. That when you can't when when you don't travel with your own console, it's just hurdles. Right. Do you have um? Because we kind of you just talked about the moments of the set that I guess you kind of look forward to. Are there any songs that we've ever had in the set that consistently give you problems? Like, is there any song that when you know we're going to play it, you're like, I hate this. Hmm. <laughs> He's looking something up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got I to scroll through the track list here real quick. Because it's not any of the ones that you guys have played this year. I was really, I loved the. Oh, but I'm there is a song. There is a problem song. Is there a song that you have issues with, Jansen, while he's looking that up? I will like, say the one that I you don't play anymore that I miss is Raincoat. Yeah, same. I did love that one. That one live like really felt like right, and I feel like I could sing that song and other side. Like for some reason, when I'm singing that song, I feel very like into it. Like mm. vocally, I always feel really good on that. But then I can get to a different song, and I'm like, I don't feel great singing this one. It's weird. That's interesting. Is it because of the like the register, or I like guess. the key? Maybe. I mean, the verses on the other side are a little bit challenging, but um, I just feel like I don't know. Like I feel like I'm singing correctly <laughs> during those songs for some reason. Like very technically proficient for right. my diaphragm. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're conscious of that. I know. Anyway. Yeah. So you you miss raincoat like. Did you find one that you didn't like? I'm trying to think of one that would, like, in my mind, Ooh. be hard. Honestly, Nowhere Feels Like Home was really tough. Yeah. Because of the... That makes sense. Because of the, like, I think you go to your falsetto in the chorus, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was getting that balance. Yeah. And it's very much like a hip-hop-inspired song. Like, hip-hop, R&B, but it's, like, live instrumentation, so I'm sure that has its own challenges. Right, it was, I remember when that one would be in, made it, like, each night, there was, like, a process. I'm yeah. trying to remember exactly. Um, what was right before that in the set list? Uh, somebody's Gonna Love You, because we started with that and then went straight away. That's right. Yeah, so I, I definitely would, like, do some tweaks to the drums, I remember, like, small things, and then it was basically, like, just kind of ride it until the chorus, and then my finger would never leave like your chin, like the vocal channel. Yeah. Um, you get really nerdy. Get you nerdy, cut it out. Uh, I ended up changing the way I compress your voice a bunch because of that song. Explain, explain what compression means to people. So, so they can understand your nerdiness. Yes. Oh goodness. Um, so, uh, a compressor controls volumes essentially. So, it says when the person, or like, for example, Jansen singing, uh, if he sings this loud, you set that number, it's the threshold. Once he sings that loud, it's going to start like 
squishing it down, making it quieter. Um, so it can kind of control the volume, control the dynamics, as well as like change the tone a little bit. Um, and because of that song, I ended up changing my ratio, which is how much it compresses it. I wow. feel like I'm already losing you, Jansen. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. That's why you're here. Mm-hmm. We're trying to put a little respect on your on your job. This is a very. I mean, would you say that math helps you in this situation at all? Definitely math. It, se- it seems in school, like a mathematical kids. situation. You know, whenever there's numbers involved, there's probably <laughs> math, math involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that makes that makes sense for. I mean, I feel like I have a TV. It's like a really cheap one that compresses very poorly. Because, like, certain things, like, you can tell right. that it compresses. Because, like, if you're, comp- if you're compressing correctly, you shouldn't really notice it. Right? Eh, depends. But, like, in a live setting, you wouldn't really know, right? Or would you? Uh, it kind of depends. So I'll also use it to help, like, fit you in the mix so like if you're singing really quiet and then also singing really loud by bringing your louds down you're essentially also bringing the quiet parts up so i can kind of use that to help fit it fit your vocal into the mix um but also like tonally so one thing i'll do is parallel compress the drums so i'll take all of the drums they'll just do their thing that drums do but then i'll also send them to a separate compressor and like squash the hell out of them and so just like if you just listen to that it would just be really distorted and wouldn't sound good at all but if you mix it in subtly with the regular drums it sounds super huge and fat and rock and roll production tricks man what was the 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 tricks what what was the hardest thing you had to like i guess not had to but what's the hardest thing that you've kind of learned to do like what took you the most time in your in your opinion to get right like what kind of trick or technique tap delay tap delay (laughs) uh well i mean i'm always getting better at everything uh right not to say that you have to have it mastered right 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 um i feel like one thing was and it's like the most basic thing but like gain staging not because it like was difficult to understand, but just like uh, how important it actually is. So like when it goes from the microphone to the console and then back out to the speakers, it's not just like one volume thing. You know, you have the level of the microphone, bringing that in. You have the volume fader. You have the master faders. There's so many different things. So it's kind of like if there could be an issue, it may not be like. Like if I think there's an issue on Jansen's vocal, it might not be Jansen's vocal. It might be on the master. It might be at the amplifiers, or it could be all these places. So making sure that all those levels are A1. Is That's important. what gain staging is. Basically mm-hmm. troubleshooting. Yes. Yes. Working on I am so glad I don't do that. Yeah. But even like learning things like gain staging between studio and live is different. Is like studio you are a little bit more about like uh a there's less area so it's like microphone and then you can kind of push the preamp and get color from the preamp and stuff like that but in live you almost kind of work backwards and get as little much out of that out of the preamp as you can to avoid feedback and other issues it's i'm getting nerdy again (laughs) feel free to cut out as much of that no, Jared, I want to hear your nerdiness. And I think that people actually care more about this stuff than maybe you would think, even if it's hard to follow. But that's why definitions are helpful. The more you know, though. And, like, the, I mean, kind of the main goal of this is to create a deeper appreciation for what you do. And I think that even in the last 15 minutes that we've talked about this and you've said all these things, I think people can understand that it's a lot more complicated than just plugging in and turning on and messing with the volume. 
Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I thought you did. So <laughs> this has been pretty eye-opening for me, even. I'm glad you understand now. There's math involved, which means I definitely don't want to do it. <laughs> oh, just wait till we start talking about lights. Dude, I'm excited for that, though. Mm, me too. Because I've, I mean, you know, we... Oh, yeah. We, you did sound... Did you do sound the one time I did lights for Encore? I think so. Yeah, that or I was in the band. I have minimal experience, experience being an LD. You know enough. You know things. Well, I don't know any more than that console, which is super outdated, so... I'd have to relearn, yeah. but I really enjoy doing lighting. So I'd be, I'd be excited to do that when we introduce that. And then I can learn more math. I was going to say, you remember like DMX and addressing and stuff yeah, like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sick. We'll get there. We're yeah. soon. Here's, um, I guess moving out of, I guess the technical space a little bit, like now that we've, um, toured with you a little bit, you know, we had like five weeks on the road with you and then we've, you know, done a few here and there kind of things. What do you think like a misconception is about like front of house or like any, any person that's like a part of a crew, like on a tour? Cause like, I know that we kind of just kind of talked about, <laughs> talked about all the misconceptions about how it's not just like plugging in and turning on, but like, is there anything that comes to mind when you think of like the way that maybe fans view your position or like things like that? Or do you even think about that? I feel like you're the type of person that doesn't think about that at all. Yeah, not, no, not really. Um, it's an interesting question though. I felt like, uh, cause I've also been a venue guy. So like, those of you that don't know, there's always a sound guy there at the venue that's working. Yeah, like uh, venue staff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they are fantastic. They know their stuff. They're great, friendly. Sometimes they're a pain in the butt uh, and really don't know anything. So having been both, like been on tour and a venue guy, being patient is really, really a good thing. But I don't know about, like, misconceptions because that's still very much, like, within our circle. I don't know. There's, yeah, I don't really think about that. I'm trying to think of, like, what I think a misconception would be. Jack, do you have any ideas? Like, I can't really think of or, like, at least pinpoint, like, a specific thing that people might think about, like, anybody that would be on our crew. Um, I mean, I think that overall it's probably just a general, the general idea that there's a lot of work that goes into putting on a great show, and it's kind of everything that we just talked about, like how it's just more complicated than plugging in and going. I don't know if I think it's a misconception, but I think it's just something people don't think about is like a show day is more than just like obviously a show day for us is more than just you know rolling up to the venue plugging in and playing the show and then leaving like a lot of times we doors are at like 7 p.m and we get there at like 1 30 or 2 and there's a lot of kind of prep work that goes in and, and everything else involved but i think i don't know i think something i maybe wouldn't have realized without doing this is how much because the prep work for playing, there is prep work involved, but I think the prep work for a crew is a lot more than maybe what I would have thought if I had never done this. Yeah. Because it's not like Jared just rolls in at one thirty and then sits in the green room and drinks beer and then just comes out and mixes the show. Like, there's a lot of, of prep and... yeah that you know goes into to pre-show to make sure everything's running smoothly, everything is what you expected it to be. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know of really any like what I would call misconceptions though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think and also like at our level, it's probably not as I don't know like what the right word is. 
but like as extensive as maybe somebody who is like touring with their own console and their own like PA and lights and things like that. Like, cause then you have a crew that's five to 10 people deep Mm -hmm. and putting on like a show that requires all that. I'm sure is a, a lot more complicated because for us, at least for me, Jeff Carson and Jack, like the prep for us is more or less the same every day. It's just a different stage with different dimensions. And that's like the, really the only thing that changes in terms of, I mean, maybe not, but at least off the top of my head, like for the most part, like our prep for the show is pretty much the same, mm-hmm. but yours would be different. Yeah. Very, like very different depending on if there's a venue guy there, sure. what kind of person the venue staff is. I mean, um, even even the size of the room, kind yeah. of how the room is laid out, what the depths are, where the stage is in relativity to the boards, yeah, what the ceiling is made out of, I'm sure. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, it definitely all plays a role. And, like, when you add people to the room. I feel like that's another thing. Like, that's, like, the one thing that we've still probably not, like, figured out, the, like, to the point of feeling really good about it is once you add people to the room, like after sound check, when you don't have anybody in there, like the room sounds very different than when you add a hundred bodies in there. So like in turn, that really affects, you know, what's going into each of our ears and things like that. So like you can feel really good in sound check and then get out on stage and be like, what in the world happened? Like it feels so different. And I think that that's like one thing that's like, you have to like consider when you're working towards the, you know, this actual set during the day. Sure. And, and that's one thing that you can never, it's always kind of a guess anyway, because I know even a, a venue in Indianapolis that I used to work at a bunch, it would sound completely different uh, from sound check to if the room was 100% full versus 75% full. Those were all, it would all sound completely different. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a struggle just one of the built-in things you got to deal with just another day in the life you know i do i do want to sidestep for a second yeah because i had i had this question and this it may not even be an answer worth the time but every night jared checks the room with hold the line by toto that's right i hear that song every night and i know kale did um that betty who cover Mm-hmm. every night why and why hold the line because it seems like such a random song to check the room with also explain checking the room like what does that mean so it's actually a perfect transition jack because what we were just talking about with the room sounding different every night um there's and depending on the level of production you have there's various ways you can do this but what almost every engineer does is we'll have songs that they just know ridiculously well for various reasons too. So hold the line. First of all, just perfect song. Um, I had gotten that one when I was back in high school, I kind of started, there was a guy I knew that had a production company. He had toured back in the day and I think I got it from him because he would use it. Uh, there's, you know, there's also, I got a, I know a guy who runs another production company. He uses, uh, ghost stories, that album from Coldplay every single show. Uh, I don't, but so with hold the line, I'd mostly listen to like the high end clarity, like the symbols and the vocals and kind of like get that dialed in. But then I'll play like some other stuff for like to test the low end. What are you trying to achieve when you're, like, testing the room with a song? Like, So, you know how in your car there's the EQ where you can boost up treble, mids, and bass or whatever? It's kind of the same thing except a whole lot more options. So, like, hold the line. I know how that song sounds on my headphones, in my car, on various different types of speakers. So when I get into a room, I'll put that on and basically take that eq and try and make it how i know the song's supposed to sound gotcha if if that makes sense 
So you're just trying to emulate what you already know about the song, like in each room. Right. But what's most commonly the issue in a room is there'll be like certain frequencies that are resonant. So it's not, it's less about like, oh, this needs to be brighter or whatever, and therefore I boost some high end stuff. Uh, it's more like, because I know the song so well, I can hear when there's frequencies that are like sticking out. So it's like, all right, his vocal sounds really muddy. There might be some like mid that I need to cut, if that makes sense. I, I got a I got a playlist of songs. There's a couple Toto songs on there. Let's hold the line. What else is on there? Uh, Rosanna. And Rosanna. Rosanna. Is Come On Eileen on there? No, that's more of a post-show vibe. Right. I feel like I feel like since college that song comes out in my life more than is that a bad thing else. though? No, but I just like it's the like when I hear that song I'm just like ah tour. Love that. <laughs> well, let's jump this way. We talked about like I guess what people maybe don't realize about your job on tour like what's your favorite memory? from being on tour with us? Because you've toured with a few different artists at this point. What's your favorite tour memory with us? What about touring with us is particularly fun or interesting or terrible? Well, it's definitely terrible. It's it's truly awful. Um, ooh, so if I had to pick a specific thing, going to the Salt Flats on the Nightly Run back in February, whenever that was. Yeah, that was fun. That was a good day. Because I don't even think it was an off day. I think it, we just got up early and went to the yeah, salt flats. It was an off day. Was it? Yeah, that was the day from hell. Oh, when the van broke down. Yeah, yeah. You want to just Was tell that the, the story same now? day? Jack, this was the worst day ever. Because the thing, well, actually. I didn't realize that was the same day. Well, you, we also yeah, ran out of gas the same day. Oh, my gosh. This, this is a great story. We can just go ahead and tell this. I feel like. We had gotten to the point, I had gotten really sick, and about that time I was getting better, and I feel like we were all getting really tired. The night before was a trip, but we woke up the next morning on a day off, we like slept in, we all got our own beds at like an Airbnb, and we woke up and we went to the Salt Flats to do some pictures or whatever, and just to like, you know, do something that wasn't music related before we had to drive all the way to San Francisco. So I think we like left the Airbnb at like 10.30, got some breakfast, then we went out there. And then we started driving to San Francisco. Well, we started driving to a Chili's. I don't remember exactly where the Chili's was at this point, but the whole goal for the day, yeah, the whole goal for the day was to get to a Chili's. Because earlier, actually the first night of tour, we went to Chili's before we went to the first show, and we tweeted about it, and then Chili's gave us a $50, uh, $50 gift card. So we were like, this is the perfect day to go to Chili's. So we started our trek to Chili's, and we had a few days off in Chicago. We got the wheels rotated. I think we needed new, maybe it was a new tire, I don't know, whatever. And, you know, I pick up the van, and we went on our way. Then in the middle of our trek to Chili's, the wheel just fell off. You know, I'll hand it over to you, Jack, since you were the one driving. I was trying to take a nap, and I was very confused as to what was happening. Go well, ahead. you're in the middle of nowhere. Like, picture the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's where we were. <laughs> and I'm driving, and then it, it just, like, all at once, like, two check engine lights kick on, and then the car starts heavy pulling left and so i pull over and stop and it took i mean we called some people because we're like we don't know what to do we're in the middle of nowhere and called like uh, a tow company and they were like well do you know what's you know wrong with it and so meanwhile i'm on the phone with them jeff and maybe jason are outside of the van doing some investigative work (laughs) and i think jeff found the bearing on the left tire just fell off so 
It was the, it not was the driving lugs, the van right? anymore. What? Yeah, I thought like the lugs were maybe falling off or something. A, a I don't major, know. The a major piece fell off the wheel. Like they didn't put the wheel back on correctly. Yeah, something that you don't want to fall off your car fell off our car. <laughs> Going 80 so, miles per hour. In the middle yeah. of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, we got towed. And that that whole thing was such a catastrophe, too, because it was like, I think it was a Friday or a Saturday. It was a Friday. It was a Friday towards the end of the day, like the work day. So basically super small window of time to get this into a shop. And if they needed to order any parts, they may not be there on Saturday, closed on Sunday, which means we weren't going to get back on the road till Monday. And we had a show, I think, on Sunday. Yeah, now that I think about it, I actually think that it was a Saturday because the show was a Sunday night, yeah. And we knew that we wouldn't be able to get to the show in San Francisco if it wasn't a quick fix, which we didn't expect it to be because, you know, the wheel fell off. <laughs> well, we were also concerned about being able to be towed in a 15-passenger van and trailer. So, thankfully, the dude just like threw the whole van on the on a flatbed and we just stayed in the van and the trailer hitched to the tow truck yeah, yeah, yeah it was a pretty fun experience and they got it fixed didn't miss any shows no and, and then, then as soon as we started driving later that night i was driving <laughs> again we yeah, ran out of gas <laughs> we ran out of gas which was so just like poetic. deflating. Yeah, and poetic. But I did find out because I got to hitch a ride with the sheriff to the nearest gas station. What I did find out is that I had just hit a stretch where there was no gas station for like 50 miles. And we were, what was it, like three miles away from the gas station? Something like when that. We ran out of gas. And he said it happens all the time, which made me feel not better at all. <laughs> but I mean, we got you, gas and we made it to Chili's. Yeah. Before Chili's closed. Yeah. And then we drove like another two hours to the Airbnb, which I had like called the lady and I was like, hey, this happened. We're probably not going to make it there. But then, the, you know, so I canceled the reservation, but then she was nice enough to let us stay. But it was pretty, pretty crazy. And honestly, thinking of, thinking back to it, like we were pretty lucky. As as terrible as the day was, we were pretty lucky because when the wheel fell off, we we were really in the middle of nowhere. But we were only like twenty miles from the nearest, I guess, bigger town that would have had. Because we like called seven or eight different like auto shops, and most of them were closed except for this one auto shop. And then, so, like, getting the tow didn't take that long. Um, and then, yeah, running out of gas only th three miles away from a gas station. Because if we were further than that, like, at le we probably would have at least made the show. But we definitely wouldn't have made it to Chili's. Oh, no. And that was the most important part of the day was the Chili's, so. That's <laughs> true. That's, de I would say that's the. Definitely the craziest tour story that we have. It's not that crazy, but just circum circumstances were very piled up that day. It, it, in the moment, it felt like a movie. <laughs> like, it just felt like there's no way that this could be happening. Yeah. But at the same time, just like a movie, the whole time I was like, we're going to make it. We and we did. And we did. I mean, I had hoped that we were going to make it, and we ended up making it, but that could have gone so much worse. Yeah, honestly, that's that's what I mean. Is like we got pretty lucky with all that because it could have been. But yeah, the salt flats were sick. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's do a little speed round before we wrap this up. Who moves it? Um, who's your like favorite artist of all time? Or album, just pick. Or both. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Artist is tough. Album? 
Might have to be it's a toss up between Hot Fuss or The Killers or Rumors. Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Those are both great choices. What's your favorite song off of those records? You had to pick one. Ooh. Whatever song off Rumors that uh, Lindsay sings. Dreams. No. It's like a like almost like an acoustic cut. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know. Hot Fuss, it might have to be either Smile Like You Mean It or know, all these things I've done, though. So, legendary. Never Going Back Again. That's the yeah. song off Rumors. Oh, that one's great. Don't Stop is one of my favorites. Uh, the Chain is just flawless. Flawless. That bass thing at the end. You know, when you when you talk about greatest albums, it's got to be the full thing, full album. That's fair. There can't be any sleepers, or not sleepers, duds. That's the word. Do you have a album of the year contender for this year? Been really enjoying the uh, new Delta Spirit album. Never heard of them. Never even heard of them. <laughs> yep. That doesn't surprise me. It's called What Is There. It's super good. Also, the new Tame Impala album. It's great. I still have not checked that out. Check. I know. I feel like I haven't listened to a ton of music. Like, I don't know. I know that that's not true, but I just like feel like I haven't. I can't think of any that I really. And also, everything's just so. I mean, we've talked about this too. It's just like everything's so single space that I can't really think of a full record that I really liked, you know. Phoebe Bridger's new album's good too. Yeah. I would I would say that that's probably mine. And notes probably second. I don't think I have an album of the year contender yet. You said that in such a panicked way. <laughs> oh no. Well, it's October. Got plenty of time. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people, I feel like, release stuff this year because of... I didn't, personally, I didn't really love Folklore that much. I did. I'm a huge Aaron Dessner fan, though. Love The National, Big Red Machine. Like, I don't know, like, Phoebe Bridgers, to me, initially, before I listened to the record, like, I hadn't really listened to her, and I was, I guess, expecting something different. But then, after I listened to it, it just is great, you know? I love records that you don't necessarily want to listen to one song off of. Like, I probably wouldn't ever listen to um, that record without listening it from front to back. There's not, like, one song that I would just choose, like, randomly to listen to, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with you about that. Strangers in the Alps was really good, too, though. The album she did before this. Okay, like, one artist... This is such a... I don't even want to ask this. such like a stereotypical question. What's um, an artist that you would play basketball with, dead or alive? Is he, is he on my team or am I playing against him? Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, are you choosing the person based on their athletic ability? Or like what you perceive their athletic... To- yes. Shaquille O'Neal is technically a music artist as well. He's a DJ. So yeah. yeah, I mean, well, if you're choosing against you, then I feel like it's easy. Like, who would you choose to be on your team? Starting five. Give me starting five. Starting five. Musicians that are alive. Well, hey, keep in mind you can you can pick Victor Oladipo because he's ooh, the king of R and B. I could also pick Dame Dalla. I'm I'm not I'm not just gonna pick a pick yeah, a team. I feel like that's cheating a little bit because you could still take Shaq. And you're also part of the four. That's fair. Are we going to do a fantasy draft right now? Jared, you get first pick. First pick, musicians that are alive from my basketball starting five. Is that okay? Jack, you go second, I'll go third. We'll go snake. Um, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to go with Mick Fleetwood, actually, because he's a large individual. Okay, so he's going to play your five? Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. I think he's large. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, he's six five, <laughs> which is like a short NBA player. I know. 
I'm picking I'm picking Ice Cube to run point. Okay. Because I like his moxie. And I think he could really – I think he would come in with the speech and the motivation. And I think him calling plays would be incredible. Okay. That's a good call. I'm going to – I'm going to go more modern with my first pick. I'm going to go John Bellion. Um, just because he's just so good at what he does. He just hones his craft. I feel like he'd be great on the court because he'd really, um, you know, he'd put in the, the, the effort. And I'm pretty sure that he's a great basketball player already. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he talks about it in a documentary. He's got that New York street ball. Okay, going back around, I'll keep. I might keep it a team of Jays, and I'm gonna go John Mayer, just a team of like really technical, technically gifted artists, you know. So I'm gonna go John Bellion, John Mayer, Jansen Hogan, Jack. You're up. I think I gotta go. Cause now, now you got me caught with the John Bellion pick. Cause now I'm trying to think of somebody that would actually be good at balling. <laughs> Remember, this is just an artistry. This doesn't necessarily have to be basketball. You're not wrong. He's on my mind. I think I just got to take J. Cole. Ooh, that's a good one. That is a good one. Boy can ball. He's actually trying to be in the NBA, I think. He's I know, he did tall, some, isn't he? He did some walk-ons. He's like, yeah, he's like six, I don't know. It's like seven, he's six like or six something like that. Old? He's like <laughs> nine foot seven. Yeah. I think I'm going to go Donald Glover, Childish Gambino. Okay. Uh, honestly, running my point, the guy can think out of the box. I think he'll be able to see the whole floor. He's got that IQ. Yeah. yeah. I dig that. Yeah. I think, you know, I think three, I'm going to take Timberlake. Justin Timberlake? That's yeah. Good. I think he's got the musical ability. I think he, he could pull it out on the court. I think he's scoring goals. I think he's going to take us to a ring. Scoring goals on the court. <laughs> Getting the points. You know, I think I have to go Freddie Mercury here just for the sheer frontman ability. Just really face of the franchise. That, that is a good face. You know, just like, just such an influential, you know, figure. Now, with my last pick... I feel like I don't know which way to go here. My heart's telling me one thing, but my head's telling me another. Go with your heart. Always with the heart. I think that it's between Steve Perry and Joey Badass for my last pick. Polar opposites. But I think I'm going to go with Joey Badass just to add some lyricism in there. You know, I've got, I've got the production quality. I've got the musicianship with John Mayer. Freddie Mercury, ultimate frontman. And then Joey Badass as my uh, lyricist. And I'm just there. Ooh, I got my last two. Just going for it. Justin Vernon, a.k.a. Bonnie Iver. Get that production in there. Get a little weird in there, but also he's got height. I could put him at the four, maybe. Uh, and, you know, just to spice it up, Kanye West. Oh. I'm taking him. Throwing the wild card in there. Sometimes you need a little spice on the court. Hey, I feel that. I get down with that. Just some pure intimidation. Absolutely. You need someone who can trash talk. I think my fourth pick, and I'm not even going to, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, (laughs) but I'm picking picking Zach from Rage Against the Machine. De La Roche. De La Roche. I don't know. De La Roche. From Rage. I'm picking him. He seems like he could scrap. Definitely. And then for my five, not my five position, but for my fifth man. Actually, he might be the five. He's pretty tall. I think I'm going to go. I was kind of leaning Stormzy, to be honest. Ooh. Okay. But see, that could backfire because I don't know. Because he's British, right? He might I don't know you. how. He might help you on the pitch, but he might not help you on the court. See, I don't know. But I think I'm going to take him. I think I'm going to take the risk. And I think I'm going to pull Stormzy. 
from across the pond. You know, I think that's a good pick. No risk, no reward. That's what I always say. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that little <laughs> segment. That probably went on too long. But I'd say, I'd say we wrap it up here. I think that was a good way to end. Jared, any last words? Um, don't forget to vote and uh, <laughs> be safe out there, kids. Wise words from our good friend Q-Ball. Love it. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for listening to episode two of Podcast the Podcast by the Wildlife. This is us signing off. (laughs) Goodbye. Don't forget to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, and ring the bell.